going to be good. What was that? Hawk and what was it? Hawk and Animal. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'll let you decide which one is which in this tag team duo here. But uh, hey, this is our final night. And so uh, let's get ready. Put your seatbelts on and give a Zion welcome to Don and Dan. Oh, who's coming up first? Oh, Dan's coming up first. All right, come on up. Is there something to put my Bible on? Uh, oh, it's over there. I can run and grab it. Is she getting it? Thank you, my, my friend. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> so who am I, hawk or animal? What, what is that? <laughs> animal. <laughs> Definitely animal, huh? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you, man. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, buddy. Couple of reps, couple of reps. <laughs> Thank you. I got a phone with me, so because there's no clock, and I'm just not going to mess up. Oh my goodness, that scared me last night. So I thought it was 11 or after. So when I found out it was 10, I was so relieved. Even though you might have thought it was late, I was like, yes. It's only 10, didn't I? I was like, it's only, oh, I thought it was 11 or after. So it's very frightening when you don't have a clock. So I was, I was telling pastor's story. A couple people, I was, I was up in northern Pennsylvania. And you had to bend there. It sounds, the story's hard to relate to when, because it sounds like too long and all you have is Bible seminary and you would think there's no way you could do this and it would be God. But I was preaching and there was no clock like this place. So I thought, but I just never saw it. And all of a sudden I'm preaching and the room was silent. Nobody was moving. Like, and there was a dramatic story I was telling and there was a point in scripture and all of a sudden I looked and you know the cafeteria clocks, school clocks, the real big old white face clocks that you can't miss. It's right there looking at me. It looked like a full moon. And I went, and when I saw the time, I said, <gasps> and, and I thought that clock was not there all night. I thought one of the sound men took it down. When I made a comment about time in the beginning, he took it down and then he thought, hey, this isn't funny. And he put it back up. Because it was like a quarter till 11. And I said, is that the time? And everybody went, time, what is it, time, time. And then you heard the rumble. Because everybody looked, nobody, everybody was just like this. So it has to be the Lord. And I said, oh my goodness, guys, I have to, I'm so sorry, I have to stop. And right where you're sitting waving, a seven-year-old girl leaped to her feet in distress and said, no. And I said, no. I said, honey, I've been preaching for hours. Man, right where you're sitting. He said, three hours and six minutes I'm recording on my cell phone. <laughs> so I preached nonstop, three hours and six minutes, had no idea, and nobody else did. So it has to be the Lord. Because I don't care how good it is, you have to know it was three hours and six minutes. And this little girl, I said, honey, how old are you? She said, I'm seven. She said, dearest thing, I said, you're seven years old. I've been preaching for three hours and six minutes, and you're saying no? 
you should be saying, Mom, is this guy ever going to stop? I'm ready to go home. She looked at me so sincere. Seven. Oh, no, sir. I get so much out of what you say. <laughs> you talk about wrecking you. And I said, I'm preaching. <laughs> and she did some kind of silly dance. She did something. I don't know. I can't dance. But she sure started. I said, no, no, honey. I'm kidding. I have to. And she went sat down. I didn't set you up tonight because I'm going to preach for three hours and six minutes. I just told you that story to let you know I have the time and you're safe. Pastor's going to come up and close. I felt it right in my heart. He, he was going to jump up here and I said, man, I want to go up and start. I just feel like you ought to put a period on this thing. I asked him if he had anything in, my heart, in his heart and when he told me what it was, I, I knew it was, it was the right period. Look, the whole goal of our instruction is love. The whole purpose, I'm convinced of this. This is my, I'm, this is my belief talking. I'm qualifying. I'm saying this is what I believe when I read my Bible. I've been saved 28 years. This is, this is what I've come away with. The whole purpose of the cross was to restore us back to the nature of God by God living in us through his Holy Spirit. God is love. The whole purpose of the cross is to restore us back to love, not to take me to heaven when I die, to put heaven back inside of me so that I can live by the Spirit, walk in the light, and walk in love just like he loved. Are you following me? Ephesians 5.1 says to, to walk in love, uh, like dear children, walk in love just as, not somewhat like. Walk in love just as Jesus loved. And then he gives the secret away and gave himself. You're not going to walk in love without giving yourself because there's no selfishness in love. And honestly, there's no love in selfishness. There's no relationship there. There's no union. It's like yes and no. You can't marry the two. Let your yes be yes or your no be no. Anything else is of the evil one. Isn't it amazing in healing? We say maybe he will, maybe he won't. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Friends, that's yes and no. They were never meant to be married. They can't be married. Scripture says they're never to be married. If you marry yes and no, they're children, or maybe so, maybe not. Well, let's pray and see what happens. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. And we get that theology based on circumstances and based on outcome instead of based on the Word of God. So there's just some things that love and selfishness can never, they're never... They can never be connected. So that's why he said, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. It's the biggest problem on the planet. I said it last night emphatically. You've got to pick up your cross. Which pick up your cross? Don't ever let sin against you give the right to produce sin in you. Don't ever repay evil for evil. Don't respond to a harsh word with a harsh word. Just overcome evil with good. And tone down a harsh word with a kind word. And don't find your identity through the things that you're going through. Find your identity through what he went through. Carry your cross. Taxi through. Go through your stuff. Everybody goes through stuff. I got that really on my am I, am I preaching tomorrow morning? No, 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 no. No. I'm going to be preaching on something like that tomorrow. I just, I just realized... I'm going to tear it up tomorrow. No, I really am. 
If you're going to let me have this pulpit, because you're an amazing teacher, if you're going to let me have this pulpit, it's going to be good. But I want to stick with what God's wrapping this thing up with and pastor's putting a period. No, no, listen, listen. We're, we're, we're called the goal of our instruction is love. I've said this my whole Christian life. If we miss becoming love, if we fail to become love, we'll fail to fulfill the very reason he came. He did not come to take me to heaven when I die. He came to restore me back to what he intended me to be in the first place when he made man. This thing isn't just beneficial, it's transformational. It's supposed to put something new in me. For something new to live out of me, something old has to go. You have to put off the old to put on the new. The wineskin has to become new if it's going to obtain the new wine that's poured in. My motive in life has to change as a Christian. It can never again be about me. Watch this. You can't afford to get tricked into being a Christian for your own sake. There's no such thing scripturally. You're a Christian for his great name. You're a Christian for his glory. You're a Christian for the manifestation of Christ so people in the world see the light of who he is through your life in whatever it is you're in the middle of. He never promised you perfect circumstances. He never said everything's going to go the way you hope. But he said he'll always be in you and with you and never leave you and forsake you. And he is always faithful and he will always shine through that moment if you're willing to let him. Are you hearing me? Now here's the thing. You can't hear a sermon like that and just say, okay, let's go do it. The Christian life is actually impossible. The Beatitudes can't be lived by flesh and blood. You can't live, Matthew 5, 6. But the Spirit of God in us can. The Christian life is impossible, but with God all things are possible. He just wants to change our motive and our perspective so the beauty of who he is can begin to have fruition in our lives. You have to be willing to become love. You have to want to. I've been a pastor for a while. I've, I've been saved 20 years. I've been preaching a long time. I've been in full-time ministry 26 out of the 20 years I've been saved, and I never asked to be. It's just worked that way. <laughs> but in that, in that whole time, Sorry, usually better than that. No, it's okay. No, I don't like to pull that card on anyway. It's just sorry. Okay, I'm going to regroup and, and go in a, just, a, just a slight different direction. Thank you. Let me jump back to here for a minute. You can't be a Christian for you. It never works. You'll stay self-conscious. You'll be problem-driven, circumstance-driven, and you'll only be good doing as good as things are going. If you're a Christian for his great name, it doesn't matter what you're in the middle of. You always have a response, and it's always going to be him. Are you with me? This thing boils down. Sorry, I'm getting tore up. I'm just going to trust it's God and go there. In 28 years I've been saved. 
I've met a whole lot of people when it comes right down to it, didn't want to become love. They just want his blessing, his favor, his protection, and his provision, but they don't want his nature. I didn't want to say that because I don't want to like proclaim that. And I can't get away from it, so I'm just going to trust. If I'm messing up, I'm messing up, and I'm trusting it's God. I... You have to want to become love. You have to want to become who he is, not what he can give you. And if you don't want to become love, you never will. But you'll be around him and never be like him. You'll talk about him and never manifest him. You might even move in his gifts and you might even move in his power. But never live from his heart. Because if you don't want to become love, you will not walk in love. But here's the beautiful thing. If you want to become love. The grace of God will empower you to be that very thing because this is not a message that you go and try to walk out. It's a truth you become. And when you become this truth, you live what you've become because grace empowers you to be that yes that's in your heart and that thing that you want to be. When you get alone with God and you start crying from sincerity and you say, God, I want to love like you love. The way you loved me, the way you forgave me, the way you washed me clean and see me as if I've never sinned. Man, I want those eyes and I want to see people that same way. I don't want to judge the room. I don't want first impressions. I don't want hot shots and low life. I want to see what you see. And I mean, if you get real and get along with God and start praying, come on, this beats just praying for a better day and things to go your way and people to treat you right. That's a self-centered whirlwind and nobody's ever manifesting him when they're trapped in that mentality. It's just all about them and how their day's going and what they need to pray more about to get this to work and change. And I mean, we get as shallow as just lights being green when we go by them and that's spiritual. Parking spaces. Favor. Park in the back. Let somebody else have the front. When your light's green, somebody else's is red. Don't you ever think about that? We don't have faith for those things. We have faith to manifest him in the face of everything that ever comes our way. That we manifest Jesus in the midst of life. And the only fight you're in, friend, is the fight of faith. You're not fighting each other. You're not fighting theology. You're not fighting the devil. You're fighting to continue to believe what you're called to believe and created to believe in the middle of all the opposition that comes our way. That's the fight I'm in. I'm an animal. (laughs) I'm about to tag you in. Who's he? I'm about to tag you in, Hawk. (laughs) So be ready. Come on, I know I'm passionate. I'm sorry. I, I've met way too many people that want counsel and want things, but they just want it to go their way. They want it to go. No, they don't want to surrender. They don't want to become love. When the rubber meets the road, this self-centered thing we inherited through Adam, we seem to cling to instead of the thing we're created for. It's like, so why is it so hard to give up what you were never created to be? 
Preacher after preacher will get the music right. This Christian life will cost you everything. Yeah, everything you were never created to be. It's not a big price. (laughs) Give it up. You were never made for you. You were made for his glory. You were made for his great name. You weren't made for you. Why is it so hard to give up what you were never created to be? Just because we tasted self-centeredness? Just because we were born into it? Let's get born again. Sorry, I'm not mad. I'm just intense about this thing. Like, he paid for this. And he believes you and I are worth wearing this. Like, you're the roster of heaven. I'm looking at the best he's got. Like, that's not motivational speaking. It's the truth. He loves us. And he never lost sight of what he created us to be. On your darkest day, he knew what you were created to be. When you had no clue of who you were and what you were doing, he knows why you're here. And he's never changed his mind. And love has never failed. And Jesus' words are before the throne continually. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. That's why it should be easy to come back to him when we understand that. We become this thing. You have to want to become love, people. I'm sorry I took so long to get through that one little thing, but it was just hitting me more than it's ever hit me before. It's trying to hit me now. I have to try to to get off of it. It, It's an honor to become love. When you don't want to become love, you're saying, I don't want to give up myself. You're saying, I choose my rights over the right to be like him. What's it mean to deny yourself? How can you deny yourself and be so full of rights? Why do we have so many discrepancies? Why do you so many? Well, I feel, well, they shouldn't have. Well, that wasn't right. All this language that you never heard him speak. We never heard Jesus talk like that. So where'd we get it? Not from him. See, when you don't want to become love, you don't want to give up yourself. When you just want to say, well, they should have, well, he shouldn't have, well, why did she? Well, you don't know how long. Well, how long am I supposed to? Well, why is it always about me? Well, when do they need to change? There ain't a line I haven't heard from somebody that goes to church. There ain't a line I haven't heard. And every time I hear them, it's a sign that we don't want to die and surrender and become what he paid for. We just want our fair shake. We want our due. We want our rights. Man, the measure you judge, you'll be judged. Come on. Are you living flawless? Or do you need mercy? Are you with me? God, I want to become love. Walk in love as dear children, just as, not somewhat like. Your Bible and my Bible says just as. You can check it. It's Ephesians 5. Check it. It says just like Jesus' love. Not close to like Jesus' love. Not as close as humanly possible. It says just like. That means I'm not lacking anything that he had in the person of Holy Spirit. And that means if I'm willing to yield, grace is willing to oblige. And that means God is willing to form me and fashion me into anything like him that I'm willing to become. So as much as I surrender, as much as I can gain in him. That's what it tells me. 
John had a revelation. Who believes John had a revelation? Who believes it's worth printing the things that John wrote in 1 John? 1 John chapters 1 through 5, absolutely incredible. You go to 1 John 2, 1 John 3. I mean, who knows John had a revelation? You know what he said in 1 John 1? He said, if we walk in the light, somewhat like he's in the light. What did he say? Just as we are in the light. Whoa, it does say that, doesn't it? Thank you. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, then we have fellowship, face-to-face co-union and commune with one another. Why? Because there's no violated conscience. There's no secrets. There's no defilement. What happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned and God showed up? They took off and ran, self-conscious, covering their own sin, which can't be covered. It was affecting them. It was affecting their relationship. Man, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have open face communion and fellowship with one another. Come on, you know, as soon as somebody disappears, usually something's wrong. You better track them down quick and find out what's up. You know what, that's chapter one. You know what chapter two says? If you say you abide in him, you ought to walk even as he walked. The church practically says that's impossible and that's heresy because he's the Lord and he's God and he's deity and we're not and you can get close but you can never match it. Talk to John. I think you're wrong. I'm sticking with the word of God. If I say I abide in him, I'd walk even as he walked. Do you know what chapter 3 says? Chapter 3 says, if I have this hope of him coming and me being with him forever and eternal life, anybody that has this hope, guess what they do? They purify themselves even as, are you ready? I'm coming down for this one. This is my first time down. I feel like I just broke some kind of barrier. I'm going to remember being at this church. (laughs) Anybody that has this hope in them, guess what they do? Purify themselves even as he is pure. Ah, That's impossible. It is impossible in your own strength. It's not impossible in your surrender and his empowerment. You give him something to work with called you, all of you, not some of you, all of you. You're not half in and half out. We talked about this on the way here. I, 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 am, I am sadly grieved by the biggest compliment I get my whole Christian life. You know what the biggest compliment I've gotten my whole Christian life is? You know what I like so much about you? You're just so for real. And I'm like, what are you? Like, it's a sad day when my compliment is what they like about me, what the Christian likes about me, is I'm for real. Are you? I hope you are. Like, I don't get that. That shouldn't be my compliment. Anybody that has this hope in them, what do they do? Purifies himself even as he is. Has to be possible to be pure. He wouldn't make promises to the pure. He wouldn't have any scripture. He wouldn't say the pure in heart shall see God if you could never have a pure heart. 
He wouldn't say to the pure, all things are pure if you couldn't be pure. Whoa. Guess what 1 John 4 says? John had a revelation. He's making us one. He's not making us tight. He's making us one. You know what 1 John 4 says? Here's how I know love's been perfected in me. I have boldness in the day of judgment. In the day he comes, I have boldness. You read scripture about the day he comes. Day of dread, terror, fear. Darkness, gloom on the souls of men. Men are going to hide from his presence. Ask for the trees and the rocks to come and fall on them. Least they face the glory of who he is. It doesn't sound like a day of confidence and boldness. But I can have it. How can I have it? Because as he is, so are we right now in this world. That doesn't mean you go to church. That means you've become like him. What's the confidence and the boldness I have in the day of judgment? As he is. What's that mean? When he comes, he looks at pastor and sees who he is in him. And he's sealed for that day, and he's wheat, and he's not a tear. He's a keeper fist. Jump in the live well, buddy. Yeah? And his angels come, and they just sort through the wheat and the tear. What's it have to do? His divine nature. 666, nature, the number of man. It's man. 666, we just figure everybody, so we make the movies, and everybody's going to have a tattoo stamped on their head, 666. wonder if it's just the nature of man. wonder if what separates believers and unbelievers is the nature of man and the nature of God, self-centeredness and his love. wonder if love is the target. wonder if your Bible says that in those days that are coming, lawlessness is going to abound. And because lawlessness abounds, the love of many or most is going to grow cold. Why? Because the lawlessness will give them a justification to change their heart. And what they've been through will dominate what he's been through. Because it will be all about them and how they feel and what they've been through. And you don't know how long I've been. How would you feel it? lawlessness abounds in the love of many. I don't know what that means, but it says many. Some translations say most. That doesn't sound cool. Now, one's too many, so one might be many. But the love of many are going to grow cold. But he who endureth till the... See, we make it all about praying a prayer. You pray the prayer? Hey, did you pray the prayer? Yep, I'm good. I'm in. You pray the prayer a thousand times over. The goal of your instruction is becoming love, not praying a prayer. And what separates the wheat from the tare is nature. The sheep and the goats, that's two different animals, sheep and goats. But it represents people, sheep and goats, two different animals though, sheep and goats. So you got people and people can be sheep and so people can be goats. 
Do you know in the sheep and goat story, the only difference between the sheep and goats that the sheep took interest in others and lived outside themselves to meet the needs of others, and when they did that, they did it to him, and the goats never saw the need? It didn't say one group prayed the prayer and the other group didn't, the one group went to church and the other group didn't. We've been deceived with this whole beneficial gospel that takes me to heaven when I die. People are praying a prayer for themselves instead of giving the life that was never theirs back to God where it belongs so Christ in them can be the hope of glory. Are you with me? Because the whole push is prayer, 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 prayer. The prayer of salvation was made up by men as a tool to help lead people to Christ. I'm not against it. I'm against not giving people the whole truth. I'm not against the sinner's prayer, but I'm not saying everybody that's prayed the sinner's prayer is automatically going to heaven. Are you kidding me? If that's true, you can come out of a bar next week with a woman on your arm that's not your wife, but you prayed the prayer on that corner last week. No, you better die to you. She can live to him. She can walk in the light as he's in the light so you can abide in him and walk even as he walked. She can purify yourself even as he is pure and as he is, so are you in this world. That is more than praying a prayer to go to heaven. I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm not saying who's saved and who's not. I'm saying there's a goal to the gospel, and it's the transformation of our nature. We have divine and precious promises, man. They're extreme. They're exceedingly abundant promises that through those promises, we can partake of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. That word isn't meaning pornography and looking at naked women. That word is self-centered, unsatisfiable desire. You're called out of darkness into the... I've partaken of his divine nature. Now I become love, escaping the self-centered way I used to live. How can you bring self into him? How can you bring old life into new? Come on, we ought to preach the gospel this way. We ought to get baptized in this truth. We ought to go under knowing everything we've ever been, done, and done to us is dead. So I never look back because I'm not Lot's wife. I'm his bride, and I'm looking up from whence comes my help. Yeah? And if we were good pastors, we'd hold you under till every bubble stops. (laughs) And we would have faith. That when we bring you up, new life through Jesus. And if you don't, at least we know where you went. Let's do it, pastor. Let's be good pastors. And let's have faith. Baptism in the morning, baby. I'm ready, man. I'm feeling this thing. I feel like an animal. I'm ready. I don't care how big you are. This thing's on me. I'll hold you under with one finger on your forehead. You stop convulsing, I time it. 40 seconds later, you're done. And when all the water goes limp and you go limp, we'll bring you up and make sure. That life that's in you will be new. Boy, I wish we'd teach baptism that way so people understood it's not an ordinance to follow. It's not the next step in line. 
not a Christian activity. It's a revelation of a truth. It's a contact point of faith to say, I'm dying so I can finally live. I'm giving everything I've ever been. That water is the tomb, and it represents death, burial, and resurrection. And even as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, I'm going to raise, by the glory of the Father, I'm going to raise to the newness of life. I'm going to die in the likeness of his death. And the death he died, he died to sin once for all. And the life that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, you reckon yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Do you know that's raw, straight up scripture? Romans 6:11. Do you know that's the word of God? And you can't even preach that in church anymore without getting criticized. Because everybody's going to sin and nobody's perfect. And we all have sin, brother. And what are you saying? You're perfect? That's how mesmerized we've been by the fall of man and by sin. That we don't even understand the power of righteousness and the blood that's speaking better things. And we're afraid to wake up and believe we're clean and pure and holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight that he sees me as if I've never sinned. And he loves to live on the inside of me because that's what he made me for. And when I was so lost, he came all the more to get me. And the farther I strayed away, the harder he came. <laughs> and I wasn't even looking for him on the night I got saved. I was ready to try to make it work so I could move in with a girl that wasn't my wife that was eight years younger than me. And he rescued me from delusion. So that doesn't sound all that spiritual. And he wasn't repulsed and he wasn't grossed out and he wasn't like, oh, you willful little fine man. No, where sin was abounding, he came and saved me. Snatched me out of that lie in that place so I didn't do something I'd regret and hurt more people along the way. And he put his life inside of me. And I didn't deserve it, but man, I got it. Here I am 28 years later, and I ain't apologizing for my passion. <laughs> or my speech. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not apologizing. Because it's everything I'm saying. There's new life. Through Jesus Christ. Not just eternal destination. New life. Through Jesus Christ. Old things have. And. That means all old things. Everything before him. Is to pass away. The way I thought. My motives. My perspective. The why behind my life. Listen, pastor's going to come up here, talk about God loving us. There ain't one of us in this room that lived lovable before we knew him. And yet his love never failed. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of love in my life. I want to see people that have no clue who they are and that are living outside the, the box of who they were created to be and realize that and not stereotype them, judge them, get repulsed by them or get turned off by them or get angry at them or get frustrated at them. I want to have mercy because if they knew who they were, Stephen, they wouldn't be living that way. 
Yeah? Isn't that why the Spirit of God's in you? Because he never changed his mind about who you were created to be even when you didn't have a clue. And on your darkest day, he said, I know that man. And I know who he's created to be. He kept wooing your heart and drawing you until he got you to go like this. And you said, boom, happy day. Yeah? Because a son came home. He ain't like, well, finally, he finally, you listen. <laughs> Do you know love never fails? Do you know it's patient, it's kind? Do you know that love doesn't seek its own? Do you know that love is like a beautiful, wonderful thing? Do you know that your Bible says that the reason God sent his son is because he loved you? It'd be different if he said, for God was so at wit's end with humanity, he finally sent his son. That would be different. God was so at the end of his strength, dealing with people, he finally pulled out his trump card. And in the fullness of time, sent Jesus because he had no other option. No, for God so not changed his mind about who he created people to be. And he so didn't even blink because of their unrighteousness, because he knew they could be more and what they'd look like if he was in them. He sent his son. It's called love. It's what you and I are on the planet for. And if we miss it, we will miss why he came. Ephesians says the glory of his inheritance, not ours. The glory of his inheritance in who? Okay. So he deposits the investment of the blood of his son into the earth as a seed. The seed springs up to bring back the dividends, the glory of his inheritance. One son for the appearance of many sons. The glory of his inheritance in the saints. It's the dividends God the Father receives through the investment of the blood of his son. Sons and daughters formed in Christ, empowered by his own spirit, looking like him, loving like him, abiding in him, and walking even as he walked. The glory of his inheritance. It's not when you pray a prayer to go to heaven. It's when your nature's restored back to love. Now you're living what you're here for. And when I look in my Bible, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, I can't find any other reason that he made man but to be found in his image. Are you all with me? I'm going to turn it over to the hawk. And I'm going to sit down and still feel like an animal. <laughs> Amen. I feel like I just got tagged. <laughs> Call me Hawk because my eye is single and my whole body is filled with light. <laughs> I want you to think with me for a minute because everything we just heard is the gospel. And the idea of understanding what we just heard, how does that apply to my life? 
if I'm called to become love, how does that actually happen? I live in a world that says, I'll never possess what I don't pursue. And I'll never pursue what I don't know is possible. But if I know it's possible, there's a desire to pursue it. And if there's a desire to pursue it, there's an availability to possess it. But first, I've got to see it before I can become it. And I think that's a huge word for somebody in the house right now because sometimes we look at this stuff and we think, man, I don't even know if I can live that way. I'm going to guarantee you can because the Bible says you can. It's like anything that tells you you can is straight from hell and you ought to just dismiss that thought. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. No, I know what he went through. And I know what he went through to pay a price so you can become what he paid for. So I think there's something to that that we grab a hold of and say, man, I want this. But it's like Pastor Dan just said, you got to want it. And that means something to me. Now, to become love, we need to understand a couple of things. Go with me to Revelation chapter 2. And, and I'm just going to jump in this. I won't be long. <laughs> I'm in faith. He says to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now watch what he says. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you can't bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not. He's, he's, he's dealing with the agnostics, the Gnostics there, and have found them liars. And you've persevered and you've, patient, and you've had patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Everybody catch that? There's a lot there, right? And then he says this, nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from when you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or I'll come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And, and I've read that and I've preached this over the past years, but let's just take a look at it if we can. You guys got a minute? We'll just take a look at this. I want you to see this for a second. We'll go back to verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, right? You can't bear them that are evil. You've tested them, right? Now watch. You found them lives. You've persevered. You've had patience. You've labored. You've not become weary. What's it sound like? A whole lot of works. Sounds tiring to me. And then he says something. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you left your first love. He said, you left your first love. And I thought about that, and I thought, man, when I've preached this and I've read this and I started thinking about it, I thought, man, here they are doing all this work and all this labor, but... They're doing it mechanically like they don't even love God anymore. They're just doing it mechanically because it's the Christian thing to do. Like they're doing it because we know that's what we're supposed to do. But if our heart's not engaged in it, then, then, then why are we really doing that? That's, that's the way I read that for a long time. And then maybe a month ago, I'm reading this over and just asking the Lord about it. And, and, and this kind of hit my spirit. So you can measure it for yourself. But as I began to read this, I thought, man, watch what he said. He said, you've labored, you've worked, you've, you've had patience, you've not grown weary. You, you've, he says, patience twice, by the way. And, and, and you've done all this. He said, but you left your first love. And I thought, wait a minute. What's he saying? You left your first love. Repent and do your first works over. What were our first works? What's he actually asking in that question? He's saying, you left your first love. Now repent and do your first works over. And I started thinking. What's he saying? 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. 
And I started thinking about that, and I thought, maybe my first love wasn't the fact that I was loving him. Maybe my first was what I was receiving, his love. Because I'll never become love until I learn how to receive his love. And I bet I have to receive his love first to actually become everything that he created me to be. I need his love flowing in me. So I started looking at this. I thought they've labored. They've had, they've had patience. They've not grown weary. They kept doing it. And I think sometimes we do a lot of stuff in our life so that God will love us more. And it's the motive of our heart and the motive of what we're doing based on the idea that, listen, when I did well, my dad loved me better. So I'll bet if I do well, God will love me more. Come on, and the next thing you know, we're doing, we're doing all kind of workspace programs to, to try to get God to move on our behalf. We have, we have prayer gathering, and we pray for an hour steady, and we didn't see the breakthrough, but tomorrow, if we pray two hours, maybe God will move. Come on, that's our mentality. I fasted three days, hadn't seen the breakthrough. Maybe if I fast seven. And all of a sudden, we're trying to perform to get God to move. I think sometimes the motive of a lot of things that we do in the body of Christ are to get God to love us more or to get God to move on our behalf more so, so, so that we can, we, we can actually see him. And, and, and I've got to talk to us, man, because here's the reality. I live in this world. Let me show you this. Matthew chapter 3. Jesus comes to John at the, at the Jordan River. You guys with me? Right? And he comes to John and he says, and, and John, like, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he comes back and Jesus said, John, I want you to baptize me. And what's John do? Like, no way, dude, you baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, you got to baptize me. No, you baptize me. And I'm sure they had this whole thing going on for a while. And then after a little while, Jesus is like, suffer to be so, for thus and fulfill all righteousness. And John, fine, I'll suffer. So he, what's he do? He takes him out in the water and what's he do? He baptizes him. Right? And when he baptizes them, most of you that are Bible scholars at all, you know what happens. The Bible says, and the heavens open, and the Spirit of God descends like a dove and lights upon his shoulder. And what's the next thing that happens? God speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And I stopped and I thought, wow, that's pretty awesome. You know why? At this point in Jesus' ministry, you know what? No miracles yet. Hasn't turned the water to wine, hasn't raised the dead, hasn't made the lame to walk, hasn't made the blind to see, hasn't opened one deaf ear, hasn't caused the, the cripples to, to be uncrippled, whatever that is, and all, all those things. And nothing, nothing's happened. He hasn't done anything. And God said, this is my beloved son, not because of what he's done, but because of who he is. <sighs> you know what I found? I thought, this is awesome. This is where God said, this is my beloved son. And I realized it's not the only place. Because in Matthew 17, they climb up on the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. And now you got Jesus there. And next thing you know, boom, he's shining. And on the right hand is Moses, and on the left hand is Elijah. And he's got Moses and Elijah standing beside him. And you know what happens? Huh? And, and, and Peter and James and John fall on the ground. And then Peter, Peter sees that and says, man, this is pretty awesome. We should probably build three churches. That's a great plan because <laughs> that's what we do. And all of a sudden, the Father speaks from heaven, and Moses and Elijah are gone. And what happened? God speaks from heaven again. What's he say? This is my beloved son. Hear him. 
He calls him his beloved son two different times. One at the very beginning of his ministry before he does anything and one near the end of his ministry after he has raised the dead and healed the sick and caused the blind to see and the deaf ears open and the mute to sing and the lame to walk. And it, man, Come on, he's fed 5,000 and he's walked on water and he's done all the stuff. And you know what? Here's what I found. He loved him when he did all the stuff and he loved him before he did all the stuff. And I thought, you know what that tells me? God will love you at your highest and he'll love you at your lowest and he doesn't love you more here than he did there. I'll stretch you. The Apostle Paul writes two-thirds of your New Testament. It's pretty awesome. God loved the Apostle Paul. I'll tell you something that's going to stretch you a little bit, but he loved Saul of Tarsus too. How do you know? I know because he struck him down off his horse and called him to become an apostle to the Gentiles. And he didn't love Saul any different than he loved Paul. And we would look at that and think Saul of Tarsus was like Osama bin Laden of our day. Like the leader of Hamas. <laughs> but I got to tell you something, man. Pastor Dan's an amazing man of God. Pastor Jim's an amazing man of God. Can I tell you something? God loves the drug addict in the meth house the same as he loves Pastor Jim. All of a sudden, we see differently through that stuff, and I don't know why. But what I want us to understand is, man, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He just loves you. Pastor Dan was talking about John. You go to John chapter 20, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find Peter and John running to the tomb. Because why? Because the tomb's empty, and the girls have already come and told the story. And they have a foot race. And who ran? Peter ran. And then you know what else it says? And also with him ran that other disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> I love it that he calls himself. Do you know he calls himself that five times in the gospel? It, his, now watch. Can I say this? John calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. Can I tell you something? Read Matthew. He don't call him the disciple Jesus loves. <laughs> Come on. Mark and Luke don't call John the disciple Jesus loves. John calls John the disciple Jesus loves. Oh. And I think it's amazing that John takes that title and calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loves. Can we talk? Mark chapter 3, verse 13, he goes up into a mountain, calls unto him whom he would. He ordained 12 that they should be with him, right? That he gave him power to heal, to heal and, to, and to cast out devils and, 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 and starts naming who they are, right? And he talks about Peter and talks about the others. And then he says, and James, the, brother, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and he calls them the sons of thunder. <laughs> no, Jesus called them sons of thunder. John calls himself something completely different. What do you mean? When Jesus saw John and James, he called them sons of thunder. You know why? They hadn't been with him. But after three years of being loved perfectly, after three years of receiving perfect love and being loved perfectly by love himself, John has a transformation. And now he doesn't see himself as a son of thunder. Can I, we talk? Come on, he's a rough fisherman. He's a rugged fisherman. And you know what? It's James and John. They're the ones in Samaria that when things ain't going the way they thought, well, should we call down fire and burn them all up like Elijah did? <laughs> Come on. He's ready to burn up a whole village of people because he didn't like the way they looked at Jesus. 
Aren't you glad there's nobody in this church like that? <laughs> Sons of thunder. But after three years of being loved perfectly, all of a sudden John begins to see through a different lens. Whew, I'm not a son of thunder. I'm the disciple he loves. Whew. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. I loved it. Remember what I said earlier when I preached? I said, I love to read my Bible for what it says. Why? Because it says the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say the disciple who loved Jesus. Why? They all loved Jesus. That was a given. It's one thing to know you love him. It's another thing when you get to revelation, he loves me. When you get to revelation, no, he loves me just like I am. He's not waiting for me to be perfected so he can love me. He's not waiting for me to get it all together. Come on. Oh, when I get all my ducks in a row, come on. Some of my ducks flew south already. I don't even know where my ducks went. I think a squirrel ate one. I'm not sure. <laughs> Here's the reality, man. He loves me. When we get that revelation that we're truly loved, it's the way we can become love. When I've received his love, now i got something to give away. When I receive his love, now I have a deposit to make in somebody else's life. One of the prayers I prayed as a very young pastor, God, I wanted, I, I had heroes. I had a Spanish pastor, a Spanish preacher that I thought was pretty awesome. His name was Felix Garcia. He was so anointed. I said, God, I want to. I want to preach with an anointing like Felix Garcia. He was good. I, I knew a couple guys that were really brilliant. I prayed, Lord, I want to understand Scripture the way they understand Scripture. But the one prayer I prayed with tears, God, increase my capacity to love people. Whew. Why? Because I think we're going to love more people into the kingdom than we'll ever preach into the kingdom. Whew. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one to another. Come on, John 13, right? 35. That's a pretty powerful verse to me. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love, and how are they going to know love unless we actually put it on display and people actually see that? Why? Because we became love. How did we become love? Because first we received love so we could become love. John began to understand he's perfectly loved. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. I think that's a beautiful title. Oh, what if you got up in the morning and you just lived loved? What if, we, what if we actually believed this and actually we got up in the morning and we thank you, Father, that you love me, you're for me, and you're not against me, that you love me, that I know that today, even if I don't make everything just right, you're still going to love me and you haven't changed your mind about me. You're never going to think another way about me. You've looked upon me with love and that's never going to change. There's nothing I can do to make you love me more. There's nothing I can do to make you love me less. You just love me. What if we woke up in the morning with that idea and we actually live loved? Oh, I want to live loved. Like I never wanted a tattoo until I found this. I want to write on my arm, live loved. Because <laughs> I want to be reminded every day to live like I'm loved. Oh, to know that he loves me, he's for me, and he's not against me. It's probably 15 years ago. I don't have a lot of open visions I only have had a handful in the 40 couple years I've been walking with God. But I found myself walking through a field of daisies that looked a lot like uh, uh, the poppy fields in uh, 
Wizard of Oz. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like Dorothy's on her way to, to, the, to the fields and uh, to the big yellow place, what it, Oz, the city of Oz. And, and, she's, she's, and she's running in the field and the flowers. But I'm looking down, there's flowers everywhere. They're amazing flowers. Like there's thousands upon thousands of them. I'm standing in this field. And I, and I looked up toward heaven and I heard the Lord say, go ahead. And I looked down at all these flowers and I looked back up. And the Lord said, no, go ahead. And I looked back up, and the Lord said, no, go ahead. And I reached down at those flowers, and I picked one. And it was a daisy. And it only had one little petal on it. And I looked at that daisy. And I looked up to the Lord, and the Lord said, go ahead. And I looked at the daisy, and I looked back up, and he said, no, go ahead. And I looked back at the flower, and I heard the Lord say it really clear, no, go ahead. And I pulled that petal and said, he loves me. And he said, no more petals. <laughs> Come on, there's no he loves me not. And, and it became the greatest revelation in my life. Like I was so excited. He loves me and there's no he loves me not. He doesn't even think he loves me not. He just loves me. Oh. What if we could live loved? Because honestly, man, if I can live loved, I can become loved. Because the love that filled me is the love that's going to throw through me. Can I talk to you? You're not a product of your environment. You're a product of his environment. You're not a product of what you went through. You're a product of what he went through. Come on, man. He loves us. And that's got to matter to me. That's got to matter to every one of us. That you're actually living loved. 1 John chapter 4 Verses 7 and 8. You know what it says? Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. Do you understand that? When you read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? You can put God's name in there. Because where it says love is patient, love is kind, come on, what's it mean? Then that's the way God is. Why? Because God is love. And then if you read Ephesians 5 and 1, you know what it says? Be imitators of God as dear children. What's that mean? That means you could put your name in there. You could actually put your name in 1 Corinthians 13. And every time it says love is, you could say Dawn is or Bill is or Sam is or Sally is, whatever your name is. Put your name right in there. Why? Because that's what you're called to be. What would it look like? If you woke up every morning living loved. Remember that I told you when I read my Bible, I like to read what it says. You know what it says? God is love. You know what it doesn't say? God has love. Why? Because if you have something, you might run out of it. But if you are something, it's the very nature and character of your DNA. It's unchangeable and they'll never switch. What's that mean? There's never going to be a day where God wakes up in a bad mood. <laughs> Come on, come on. Woo, glory to God. See, people think, oh, God's angry. I don't think so. God's love. Come on, so God's not angry, and he's not mad, and he's not, can I go here? Can I talk to us really plain? Like, people actually have trouble receiving God's love. Why? Because I messed up, and I disappointed God. Who's ever felt like you disappointed God? Can I tell you something? The only way disappointment happens is because somebody was surprised at your actions. If you serve a God who stands outside of time and knew everything you were going to do anyway, you know what? I'll bet you couldn't disappoint him. I'll bet he's not frustrated or disappointed with you. Come on, man. Sometimes our view of God has to change. God's not disappointed. Oh, he's in love with you. Oh. He wants to lavish his love on you so you can look like him. 
Because if he's love and you're made in his image and his likeness, you ought to become love. But the only way I'm going to become that is to receive it first. I've got to allow God to love me. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm a mess. You're his mess. <laughs> Let him figure it out. Just be his. Just literally be his. Like, what would happen if we actually believed every morning we got up, he loves me. He loves me. Can I tell you this? He's not counting your sins against you. I read it in a book. It's a bestseller. There's something about you and I understanding. What would it look like if I actually believed what Pastor Don's saying right now? That I can live every day loved. I can wake up in the morning and know he loves me. I can walk through my day all day long. And even if people get mad at me and they curse at me and they yell at me and they scream at me, guess what? God loves me. <laughs> can I tell you something? People are going to say dumb stuff about you. Especially if you're in ministry. Can I go here? Let's talk. Come on, man. I had a, kid, I had a couple kids that were wanting to get married. And they, uh, they asked me, would you do our wedding? I said, I'd be glad to talk with you. Because that's the way I answer everybody. Why? Because i got to know your story before I commit to doing your wedding. Because I take that as really, really serious. I'm going to pronounce God's blessing over your marriage. I want to know that you're right, that you understand covenant, that we're going to walk through about five or six different classes together before I commit to that. Why? Because I need to know that you see the seriousness of the covenant you're about to make. So they come to first meeting, and I get their story, and I find out they've been living together. They made a baby together, so this is why they're going to have a marriage. And I said, that's the worst problem. That's the worst idea to have a, a, a marriage is just because you made a baby together. You know what I mean? But oh, and, and then I find out they've had a two-year relationship, and they didn't have a two-year relationship. They had a two-year fight. <laughs> it hasn't stopped. And I found out they got holes in the wall where he's punched holes in the wall and it's been bad and whatever. And I'm like, man, we better meet next Wednesday. So we so we met Wednesday. I said, we're going to meet next Wednesday. Tuesday night, my phone rings. It's him. He's calling on the phone and he's crying. And I'm like, man, dude, what's going on? And he's like, we got into it again. I punched a hole in the wall. I tore the bathroom door off the hinges. I'm thinking, no, this is not good. <laughs> this is toxic relationship. <laughs> and I'm like, dude. You know it would violate my heart and my conscience before God to even think about doing this wedding right now. You guys aren't ready to get married. It's going to be a while. We're not going to be able to do this. And he said, I know. I figured that's what you were going to say. I said, do you want to tell her? you want me to tell her? No, I'll tell her. So he tells her. Next morning, Wednesday morning, it's 9 o'clock when the office opens. I'm in my office. There's a, we got a reception area and all that. And in the reception area, I'm hearing all this commotion. And there's a lady screaming. And she is mad. There's smoke coming out of her ears. It's not a good day. Find out it's his mom or her mom, right? And she come in. Where's this Pastor Don? And she's mad. And, and, and I heard what was going on, so I came out of my office because I'm going to protect the girls because I don't know if she's got a gun. I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen. And we end up going in the counseling room, and I, and I, I said, I said, honey, talk to me. What's going on? And she said, you will do this wedding. You committed to doing this wedding, and you're going to do this wedding. And I'm like, oh, I never committed. I actually said, we're just going to need to sit and talk. No, you said you're going to do the wedding. And we've already bought all the invitations, and we've invested the money, and you're going to do this wedding and I knew that's where the problem was right there and I said oh honey I and she's like I said and I started telling her I said man they've been fighting forever and I said do you know the fight they just had last night and she said I do they always fight I'm not worried about that they fight all the time then they make up they'll be fine <laughs> and I thought well then he's seen a pattern <laughs> and I said honey listen to me I said at this point 
I said, I'm either going to please God or I'm going to please you. And it's just not a good day to be you. <laughs> and she didn't like that. <laughs> you, you call yourself a pastor. You say you walk in love. You don't have no love. You're not a pastor. And you're a cult leader. And you just, uh, this is a cult. You're a cult leader. And I'm like, shut up and drink your Kool-Aid. Okay. <laughs> I actually did say that. but Because <laughs> I knew it was over already. <laughs> but in the process of that, here's the deal, man. She's yelling and screaming. And you know what? I realized I'm going to try to love her, but she's not, she's not going to let me. Does it make sense? Here's the reality. Whether she lets me or not, I'm still going to love her. And I told her, I said, I love you. I don't want you to love me. I said, sorry, I can't do anything about that. Right? And she's screaming and hollering, slams the door and walks out. And I, it doesn't change how I feel because the reality is I know that she's very broken and very hurt. And I can either be hurt by her or hurt for her. And I choose to love her and be hurt for her. But I walked out and I said to KJ, she's been my office secretary for a bunch of years, the, the office manager. And I said to her, I said, you know that scripture in Hosea where it says, woe be unto you where all men speak well of you? Yep, took care of that today. <laughs> But if we actually become love, we don't allow that to be the barometer of our day. If we actually become love, that doesn't become the measuring stick of how we're doing. Everybody with me? There's a place of just walking this thing out and letting love flow through us. How's that start? If I don't receive the love of the Father and allow that to become my identity, all of a sudden her words have penetration in my heart and in my spirit, and all of a sudden I'm having a really bad day. But how about if I just let him love me? What would that look like to receive the love of God and the revelation of he's for me and he's not against me? Come on, who grew up with the idea that God was angry and distant and far off? And he's just not, man. My, my first impressions of God was he had a Thor hammer in one hand and a lightning bolt in the other just waiting for me to mess up. Come on, he was far off on some celestial throne on a cloud somewhere, angry and waiting for us to mess up. And then it was boom, boom dust that's so not the heart of the father and the love that he has for every one of us is available and I don't care where you've been can I say this I don't care how much you messed up I don't care how much you went through come on man one of his closest followers Mary Magdalena had seven devils and I think it only says seven because seven was the number of completion and I think she was completely full of devils I think that's really what it means and that idea is here's the reality man God chooses her. Do you understand? God chooses her. I think that's amazing. If you look at the ragtag bunch of guys that Jesus assembles to himself, that's pretty awesome. But what happens? He pours his love into them, and they become love, and all of a sudden they're changing the whole world. I think it's pretty awesome, man. I think it's pretty awesome. I'm glad he didn't go for the brilliant and the best educated. Why? Because I'm not brilliant and best educated. I'm okay. But, man, I'm happy. Sixth grade, best three years of my life. <laughs> We're going to be all right. We just got to figure this out and how we walk through this. Because the reality is, man, when I received his love, everything began to change. I started to become love. But for me to become love, I felt for me, the first thing that happened was I was receiving the love of the Father. 
So then, because you left your first love, maybe our first love was receiving his love. Quit. Can I say this? I looked at all the works they were doing, and I thought, you know what they're doing? They're working to try to get something that God already freely gave them. If you're working trying to get something that God already freely gave, right, and you're praying and asking God to give you something that you already have, you set yourself up for disappointment because you'll feel like it's unanswered prayer when the truth of the matter is the prayer was already answered before you ever prayed. That was deeper than you realize. Some of you will get that Tuesday like, oh, now I know. But the reality is, man, we're in a place where it's letting him love us. So I want you to think with me for a minute. What would it look like if you woke up every morning living loved, that you realized, man, he loves me, that I could actually receive the love of the Father, that that actually became part of my birthright and my inheritance in Christ. He loves me. He's for me. He's not angry at me. He wants to lavish his love on me and cause me to look like him. What if I could love like Jesus? What if I could love just like he loves? How's it happen? If I receive his love, now I have something to dispense. His love flows through me. What if I just became a conduit, an open gate of heaven, and the love of the Father came in me, through me, and out of me, and people around me just felt love? What if people felt safe when they were around you? That you weren't going to be the judge and jury on their life. You were just going to love them to life. We went to do a, a special thing at our church. We wanted to do tender care pregnancy center. Had a whole bunch going on. And my wife had the idea. She said, there's what we want to do, man. We're going to invest a pile of money. We're going to buy all kinds of gifts and presents for the girls at the tender care pregnancy. We want to throw them a baby shower. We want to throw them a, the biggest baby shower ever. And we just want to lavish love on them. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Do you guys follow me? Right? So we, we got some people together and we talked to some folks and we allocated a bunch of finances. And then we went to tender care and we said, hey, tell the girls we want to throw them the biggest baby shower. Here's the dates we have. Tell us which one's going to work. And, and, and you know what happened? They talked with the girls and came back and said, they won't come. That's what I said. Because <laughs> it didn't make sense to me. I thought, we're giving you free stuff. And we weren't buying cheap stuff. We were buying lots of big fancy stuff, uh, car seats and baby strollers. And, you know, some of this stuff's a couple hundred bucks a piece. And we were, we were investing pretty heavily because we wanted to just, we wanted to bless the community. It was a way to give back. And we felt really good about it. And you know what they said? We said, why not? Why wouldn't they come? They said they don't want to go to a church. Because every one of them who's been to a church felt they would be judged now because they're pregnant and unwed. And all they found from the church was judgment and not love. That's a sad commentary on us. And I thought, God, teach us to do this so much better. What if we could dispense love rather than judgment? What if we understood mercy and mercy triumphed over judgment and love flowed through the body of Christ that people felt safe to come in that they didn't feel like they had to get clean before they came to take a bath. Oh, I'm preaching good right now. <sighs> Teach us what love looks like. But here's the deal, man. Can I say this? And you guys all know this stuff. We talk about people coming to the church, but the reality is the church isn't these four walls. <sighs> it's the church going to the people and showing them what love really looks like. 
God, let me become an open gate of heaven that you flow through me and touch the world around me so that the world would know what the Father's really like. How many know the Father's been misrepresented on the earth? But I really believe there's a, there's a remnant rising that's actually putting love on display and allowing Jesus to get his real reward. Because why? Because we're starting to learn what love actually looks like. That love actually flows through us to touch the world around us. Because, man, can I tell you this? What the world needs now is love, sweet. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. <laughs> it's the only thing there's too little of. Okay, come on. The, the truth of the matter is the world needs the love of God. And I honestly believe, man, one of the greatest weapons in our world, one of the greatest weapons in the arsenal of the body of Christ is the love of the Father flowing through his bride to touch the world around us. Stand with me all over. Man, I feel Jesus right now. I want to live loved. Oh, it's still really early. Okay. What would it look like? Can I get you to the piano? Would that be okay? Or do you want somebody else? Your, your daughter-in-law was playing earlier. She's pretty good. <laughs> I know it's a little different tonight. Last night, Pastor Dan went after healing. I want to do something a little bit different tonight. What keeps me from loving well? Can I say this? We've learned... Self-preservation. We loved people, then they hurt us. We loved people, then they left us. We felt hurt. We felt done wrong. Can I say this? If the motive of your heart was to love people and you were loving people, they can't do you wrong. What do you mean? Had a young lady come to me. She was part of the, the, the youth leadership team. She came very front of the church and she wanted me to pray for her. She's crying, profusely crying. And I said, honey, what's going on? I said, how can I pray for you? What's going on? And she said, I'm trying. I'm trying to love these kids, but they won't love me back. And I looked at her. And, and I said, help me understand. She said, I'm trying to love them. I reach out to them, but they won't let me love them back. They won't, they, 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 they won't love me back. And I looked at her and I said, honey, please hear this. I said, you know I love you, right? If I say, you know I love you, right, that means there's going to be some correction that's going to come. She already knew that. I said, you know I love you, right? And she said, yeah. I said, okay, listen to me, man, because the motive of your heart is so selfish. If the only idea is that you want to love them so they'll love you back, you're now loving them with a hook. And there's a selfish motive, and it's never going to work. But what if you're going to say, I'm going to love them no matter how they receive it, no matter what goes on in their mind, or no matter how they think? What if in my heart I choose to love you regardless of how you feel about me. I just get to put the love of the Father on display. How many people does God love that don't love him back? What if we took on that nature and that character and said, I'm not worried about whether or not you love me. I get the privilege of loving you. Now I never feel used. Now I never feel walked on. Come on. I never feel like I've been abused or a doormat. That isn't even true in the body of Christ. We can't even think that way because here's the reality, man. If you want to get people to Christ, you got to become a bridge. And you know what a bridge is? Something that's walked on. Don't even think any other way. 
pray. My goodness, uh, all I want to do is help people find what he's really, really like. So what does that look like? It, it doesn't matter how I've been treated in the past. What if we just chose to love anyway? I've prayed that prayer. Jesus, you're a good shepherd, but your sheep bite. <laughs> but you keep loving anyway. Come on. What does it look like? Pastor, you don't understand how bad I've been hurt. No. Maybe I don't. But here's what I know. Running and hiding is not the answer. Putting up walls only builds a prison, and you're the prisoner. Can I go here? There's an epidemic of unforgiveness in the body of Christ, and that needs to be crushed right now. An epidemic of unforgiveness. Like, we say we forgave. Come on, can we talk? We say we forgave them, but as soon as you hear their name in the back of your mind, it's going, ew. Am I right? Come on. We said, oh, I forgave them. I know they did me wrong. I forgave them. But, but as soon as you see them, you're walking one way in the mall, and they're walking the other, and you see them coming, and you're ducking in the store, you probably didn't forgive them. We say, well, we can love them. We don't have to like them. I don't understand that mentality. Neither does Jesus. And I know what I'm preaching sounds tough, but I'm telling you, I'm right. And there's something about you and I. I understand it, man. What's it look like to put the love of the Father truly and def definitely on display? That I actually become love. My church knows this at Harvest Chapel. I have a phrase. I use it all the time. And I preach it pretty strong. I absolutely and adamantly refuse to allow the way you treat me to determine how I'm going to treat you when he called me to walk in love. I'm going to say it again because it's worth repeating. I absolutely and adamantly refuse to allow the way you treat me to determine how I'm going to treat you when he called me to walk in love. It's the mandate of heaven for every one of us to walk in love. How am I going to walk in love? I'm going to receive the love of the Father. I'm going to receive God's love in my life. I'm going to let God love me. We say people have disappointed us. The truth is, for many of us in this room, man, I feel an anointing on this right now. You're half mad at God and disappointed with Him. You had it figured out already how it was going to work, and then when it didn't go the way we figured it out, we feel like God let us down. We're still trying to sort through that and trying to figure out how do we deal with all those emotions and feelings. Come on. God, if you can make the world and everything in it in six days, why can't you fix my problem tonight? And we're frustrated because the answer didn't come the way we thought it would. It didn't arrive in the package we thought it was going to arrive in. We were believing God for the check to come at the midnight hour. And at 1.05, they shut the electric off. Come on, who knows what I'm talking about? If I'm only loving God for what, I, what he can do for me, then God's become a vending machine and you put your 50 cents in and didn't get your candy bar and now you're mad at him. What if I just love him because he sent his son? What if he never did anything else but he sent his son and gave us eternal life? That's more than enough to worship him throughout all eternity and give yourself to him completely and fully without any reservation. Oh, I'm preaching hard right now, but man, there's a, it's his fault. He started it. <laughs> you animal. 
Are you hearing my heart right now, though? I want you to just close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. I really feel a grace for the love of God to fall on you right now. I'm going to say it because I believe this with all my heart. The love of God's not coming on you because somebody laid their hand on you. The love of God's not coming on you because somebody prayed a prayer over you or prophesied in His love over you. The love of God will come on you because you got a revelation that He is love. And He loves you. And there's nothing you can do to make Him love you more and nothing you can do to make Him love you less. If you need that daisy, then understand this. He loves you and there's no more petals. He flat just loves you. I didn't get it all right, Pastor. You don't understand my past. I don't care about your past. I'm telling you right now, right here, everything inside of me, the anointing that's resting on me right now is screaming. He loves you. The measuring stick of God's love was not the circumstances of your day. The measuring stick of God's love was planted on Calvary 2,000 years ago, and God screamed, I love you. And he's not going to change his mind. You can't change his mind. Sin doesn't change God's mind about you. It changes your mind about him. Because when sin comes, all of a sudden now we feel like God's distant and alienated. It didn't alienate God from you. It alienated you from him. You changed your mind about who he is. He never changed his mind about who you are. He loves you. You just felt like you weren't lovable. And he's screaming right now. I love you. Man, I can't feel this any stronger. I'm about to hurt myself. The love of God is in this room right now. The love of God is in this room for you right now. If you're in this place, and maybe you've had trouble. Maybe you've been perplexed in your mind. I want to seal the deal right now. He loves you. And if you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I've had a little trouble receiving the love of God. I've had a little trouble receiving his love for me. Sometimes I felt unworthy. Sometimes I felt like I, I, I couldn't do it well. I wasn't good enough or whatever it might be. Sometimes I felt like God was distant. And I wondered where he was and did he really love me? I've been challenged by that for, for months now. But man, I want to receive that. I want the love of God. I want to know beyond every shadow of a doubt. Can we talk? I want to know that I know that I know that I know that he loves me and he's for me. And if that's you, slip your hand up right now. I'm not calling you out. I'm not bringing you up. I'm just going to pray for you right here, right now. But you need to know beyond every shadow of a doubt man he loves you he's for you and he's not against you man I'm telling you all over the house people are just being honest with themselves and honest with the Lord I'm here to tell you his love for you is amazing his love for you is perplexing it's so amazing that we'll never ever fully be able to comprehend the love of God but here's what I want you to know he loves you I said he I can't scream it loud enough he loves you he loves you he loves you I'm gonna pray for you right now But I want you to understand this. Please hear what I say. This is so vital that you get this. When his love comes, it's not coming as a feeling. Because God doesn't want you to live by your feelings. It's coming as a truth that's going to settle in your spirit and your heart. Because why? Because when that truth settles in your heart and in your spirit, it doesn't matter what you feel. Truth trumps your feelings. And that truth settles in your heart and settles in your spirit. And you're like, you know what, Pastor? I'm getting this. He loves me. And I'm not going to ever doubt that again. He loves me. He's for me. He's not against me. He's not counting my sins over me. He's saying he loves me with an everlasting love. 
Father, in Jesus' name right now, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for your, the truth of your great love, that your love is settling in our spirit right now, that the matter is settled forever, that we're not going to go up and down and back and forth and in and out trying to determine whether you love us or not. We're not going to allow the circumstances of our day or the circumstances of our life to determine your love for us. Uh, the cross has settled it. The cross has the final word. Uh, the cross has screamed, uh, I love you. Golgotha is crying out. Uh, the love of the Father is for us and on us and with us right now. So, Father, I declare the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit on each and every one. God, that has a hand and a heart lifted before heaven. God, that you're going to move and touch and draw and cause us, Lord, to see through a clear lens. Uh, the love of the Father was real and genuine. Whether we feel it or whether we don't doesn't even matter. We're not living by our feelings. We're living by truth. Uh, truth has trumped feelings a long time ago. And God, your word is truth and it's settled forever. It's forever settled in the heavens. Uh, so we declare the truth of your great love and your great name. God, we're going to live loved. We're going to wake up in the morning loved. We're going to walk in love. Whew. We're going to become a conduit of heaven, an open gate. Heaven's going to flow through us, touch the world around us, and we're never going to be the same again. Oh, some of us right now are returning to our first love, and we're receiving the love of the Father. Oh, God, we receive your great love, and we magnify your great name, and we thank you because when we receive your love and we become loved, it's so much easier to love. Oh, Father, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. In Jesus' amazing name. And the church shouted, Amen. 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 Go ahead and be seated just for a minute. There's a reason I want to do this. Pastor Jim, if you want to come, I think you're going to. I think you're going to. But can I help us with something? Here's what I want to do. I, just, I can't get past this. I was done and now I'm not. <laughs> In the back of the church is a cross. It's what I saw. I saw the cross. And every one of us knows what a cross looks like. How many know a cross is made up of two beams? One's vertical and one's horizontal. That vertical beam holds the horizontal beam in place. Your relationship this way holds all these relationships together. And when this beam gets wonky, all these get bumpy at best. Everybody understand what I just said? When, can, can I go here? When I'm doing marriage counseling, people have been married. Now all of a sudden they're, they're talking about being unmarried and things are really bumpy. You know the first thing I want to know? Which one of you is out of sync with God? Why? Because somebody's relationship this way got bad. Which caused that? And sometimes it's two of them are out of relationship with God in the right way. Everybody understand why? Because this, when this relationship's right, these relationships are solid. When this relationship gets bumpy, everything here gets wonky at best. You guys understand? Every time you see the cross, just remember this. I am super, unconditionally loved by the Father. He loves me. Can I go here? It's the only relationship I can't mess up. <laughs> I can mess all the other ones up. I have the ability. <laughs> but the truth is, He loves me. And that's what matters. His love makes the difference in your life. And you knowing you're loved, listen, not just thinking you're loved. Can I go here? Come on. Who knows the song? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. 
right? Come on, I had a prophet prophesy over me how much God loved me. I went around singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for a prophet told me so. It was a great song. It's one thing to have an intellectual knowledge. It's another thing to have an encounter with love itself. I'm praying and believing for an encounter with love itself. John has an encounter with love himself. And what happens? He goes from a son of thunder to the disciple that Jesus loves. Come on, man. Some of you are going to get up in the morning tomorrow. When you go to shave, you're going to look in the mirror and go, "Ah, the disciple Jesus loves, that's me. And you'll feel that because it's the love of God that's on you. Man, I could preach another hour, but I'm handing this off here. Man, so good. I don't know about you guys, but man, what a transforming weekend. So good. And uh, apparently, um, animals can be let out of the cage.